NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me here on NotFest.com. The guest this week is the great Elijah Witt of Cane Hill. He is on to let us know about everything going on in the world of Cane Hill. Videos with alligators and mosquitoes and all of the new music coming out that's coming out in singles form and trilogy form. So much good stuff. And talk about the upcoming tour in Europe in early 2022. Great conversation, I have to say. Fantastic conversation. And uh, sorry for the podcast being a little bit late this week, but I have had a mess of a week since getting back from Iowa. So uh, Elijah and I did this Wednesday night. The episode comes out Thursday. So I recorded last night and edited it up early Thursday morning for you guys. So here we are. And I want to talk a little bit about going to... Not Fest, Iowa. So Thursday here in Louisville was louder than life. It was all weekend. I had media passes. So we go to Louder Than Life. The wife and I go to Louder Than Life. We actually meet up with Stay Puffed from the Not Fest Twitch channel. Hang out with him for a little bit. Uh, I see some friends from podcasting, other shows, and other publications, things like this. So it was a, it was a good meet. It was a good hang seeing everybody all in one place. Uh, I got to see some great bands. I got to see some artists that have been on the Talk To Me podcast over the last few years. Anthrax was amazing. Seven Dust, always amazing. Knocked Loose, killed it. Wage War, got to see uh, Cody from Wage War. That was the thing this year with Louder Than Life. That's why there are no Louder Than Life interviews, was the media was not allowed to do interviews. So even if Cody from Wage War or any of those guys wanted to do an interview with me, uh, it was not allowed. So technically, yes, I had media passes. There was a media area, but there was no media. So that's kind of crazy, but it was good to see him. And it was funny, the um, Matty Mullins from uh, Memphis May Fire walked up and said, hey, Josh. So that was awesome. It's it's crazy now that we're doing way more video, way more video content out there that people can actually recognize me, um, you know, walking around. Um, yeah, man. So, so, so many great bands, uh, that Thursday. And then I got the, basically while I was at Louder Than Life, I got the all clear to come to Iowa because they were worried about once again, COVID, what we were going to do, who we were going to see and all that stuff. So I looked at flights, flights were all like, there's no direct flight between Louisville and Des Moines, which why would there be? So travel time was always, you know, roughly five, six, seven hours, and you got to add on, you know, you got to be at the airport an hour early. You got to do this, that, and the other thing. So I looked at drive time. Drive time was like eight hours, 45 minutes. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to grab a rental car, more control over the situation. And so I got up early Friday morning, got dropped off at the Enterprise rent a car. No free shout outs. Drove to Iowa, made it to Iowa roughly, you know, around four o'clock in the afternoon. Got to the hotel, got checked in. 
And uh, the there was a place called Zombie Burger across the street from the hotel that had an all Slipknot themed, not fest themed menu. So I was going to go check that out. Uh, as I waited to kind of meet up with Daniel Decay, who was also there from NotFest Twitch and, uh, you know, the producers of NotFest Twitch and all. So I went over there by myself, uh, got in, got in quick because I was by myself. Uh, if you were more than a party of two, uh, the wait was like an hour and a half. All Slipknot fans, all NotFest fans. It was cool to see everybody kind of getting pumped and hyped for NotFest Iowa to be kind of a part of the group and not, you know, nobody knew who I was, but just to kind of hear everybody around me talking about what bands they were excited to see and all the festivities going on. So I grabbed a Slipknot-inspired whiskey drink, but I'm not a whiskey drinker, and it's made from Slipknot whiskey. It was good, but I'm just, I just, no, I'm not a whiskey guy. So I grabbed a beer, grabbed some nachos, which if you know me, I'm not a big nacho guy. I think nachos are good in theory, not in uh, execution, <laughs> but they were good. It was good. It was a great time over there hanging out at the zombie burger. Uh, so I, every, everything's still kind of up in the air at this point. We don't know what we're doing. So I walk over, I, I kind of bar hop. There's a few bars right there. So I went to a couple of different bars just to kind of get the feel of the of the land or the lay of the land. Uh, grabbed another drink, went back to the hotel. It was getting pretty late. It was it was it was pushing eight o'clock, and you know that's late for me at this point. Um, and I hadn't really heard like if we were going to go out to dinner, we were going to do whatnot. So I literally just I'm exhausted from driving all day. Had a couple of beers, had some food, and I was like, you know what? in a hotel in Des Moines, Iowa, all by myself. I'm just going to relax. And basically, the minute I crawled into bed to watch TV, I got a text. Let's go grab dinner. (laughs) And it was like, the sushi place closes in 30 minutes, and it was 9 o'clock at this point. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So jump up, throw the pants back on, Uh, you know, go down to the lobby, meet up with Daniel Decay down there. Uh, And then we met up with the producer of NotFest Twitch. We all go have sushi he orders everything on the menu. We have this pile of sushi, which was awesome. And we ate like Kings at that point and talked about, you know, what we were going to do the next morning, uh, for not fest, uh, Twitch at not fest, Iowa, got it all together. And then, uh, the producer leaves, we make it back over to the hotel. And he's like, you know, Daniel's like, do you want to go have another, do you want to go have one more drink? And I'm like, yeah, we can go have one more, but we got to be up. We got to be in the lobby at 8 a.m. We've got to be on camera all day. Let's not stay out all night. Fast forward to, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> and we are closing up our tab. Uh, it was actually very cool for Daniel and I to kind of kind of team build in a weird way. You know, I don't really know him. He doesn't know me. So we sat at the bar, just, you know, having a couple of drinks, talking about touring, talking about this, talking about that, and just really built a pretty good rapport with each other. So I think in all honesty, I'm glad we did that because going into this weekend, I didn't know him. We didn't know how to, you know, how we we interacted. And, you know, if we're going to be on camera for five, six hours, you know, you need that time to, to kind of build a little bit of a relationship so you're not just acting like a bunch of monkeys up there trying to figure out what's going on. So 2 a.m., we, you know, we, we, we cash out, we get back to the hotel, we go to bed, and I'm, I can't sleep because I'm about to go do NotFest Twitch from NotFest Iowa as a part of NotFest, as a part of 30,000 people 
Uh, we knew a few things that were going to happen during the day, and uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But so all, all this is on my mind. I can't sleep. It's three, three thirty. I'm I'm like playing, you know, music to to make you go to sleep by on YouTube. And finally, I fall asleep. Wake up at seven. Jump in the shower. Hose off. You know, get ready. Go down to the lobby. We 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 had to make a Walmart run for one of the vendors to get some stuff. Uh, so we hit the Walmart. It's 8 a.m. in the morning. We get to not the Knotfest Iowa grounds roughly about 9 a.m. and start setting up. And it's I didn't realize how big of a production this was going to be, but I mean it was like nice studio quality cameras. You know, we we had a producer, we had a director, we had a camera guy, all the same guy, but it was it was he 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 wore many hats, but that's what he was there for. And uh, you know, we we framed the shot to where the bands were playing behind us. And as we're setting up, we we set up right next to the Slipknot Museum, which was out with the the Knotfest Roadshow, I do believe, and you can go through and see all of the masks from over the years. They got some Joey stuff in there. They got some Paul Gray stuff in there. Um, and, the, and then it kind of leaks out into the to, to behind it where they have some instruments set up where you can kind of bang around on them. And they have a keg set up. And the keg is chained up to a to a pole. And I look over and it's Clown. I mean, he's standing right there, you know, a uh, couple of bodyguards, some of his family members. And he was talking to the lady that was hanging up the, the keg. And, you know, he's telling her that it was upside down. And he wants the kids to be able to bang on it. So let's get some drumsticks out here. He had a baseball bat in his hand. And then he hit it a couple of times. And even the fan in me goes, that's Clown from Slipknot banging a keg right there in front of me. Like... That's insane. So he did that. He walked around the museum part a little bit, and then he kind of walked away. And I kind of, you could see him from where we were. We had a pretty good bird's eye view of of the grounds. And, you know, he went around checking out all of the stuff, all of the vendors and all the booths, making sure everything was running smooth. So, which in hindsight, kind of bummed out that the lines and everything else became such an issue because, you know, he was there at 9 a.m. making sure everything was in place. So I guess uh, that, that, that part of it's kind of bad that the, the the infrastructure kind of collapsed at one point and the lines became a little nuts but overall fantastic show so daniel and i start you know i saw our twitch stream twitch is blowing up everybody's watching uh you know a couple hundred people at a time 400 people i think was the max i think we noticed watching and we were just basically doing like college game day up there commenting on bands pulling up uh, people in Slipknot costumes, a lot of full, you know, full costume people running around, a lot of kids hanging out. Uh, we got a lot of the little ones up there, talk about their first metal experience, what they like, you know, a lot of dads and sons, which, you know, I'm a sucker for a good dad son story. So the day started with uh, widow seven, good up and coming band. Then Vended, which is, uh, which is clown and Corey's kids band. You could definitely tell they with the bloodline in there, and I think that uh, you know with with a little time they're going to be really good, and I think that they're they're going to get a bad rap because of the nepotism factor, but I think that they put on one hell of a show. If their dads are coaching them, they are doing a very good job. And once again, you know I love a good dad son story, so there you go. Gate Creeper was awesome. Turnstile was awesome. Knocked loose. I caught a little bit of them at Louder Than Life, but I watched all of them at. Not Fest Iowa, and definitely need to go down the knocked loose rabbit hole. Uh, and they're actually from where I am. Like I am from a little bit north of Louisville. I believe they're from a little bit south of Louisville. So we are uh, kindred spirits in that. Uh, Fever three three three, always great live show. 
Uh, we were wondering what he was going to climb up on. We saw a lot of candidates, and then at one point he was on top of a, of a like a soundboard. So there you go. Tech Nine came out, killed it. Uh, you know, he got he came out and did the whole uh, the, the the Red Kingdom, the Chiefs Kingdom stuff, which was fun. Trivium, always great live band. I, I believe that they kind of played almost like a greatest hits set, and you didn't realize like how many quote unquote greatest hits they have. But they went through and played like the singles off of every album almost. And I was like, man, this is, Trivium is just such a good band. End upcoming guest on the podcast, like always. Gojira. First time seeing Gojira and completely blown away by how great they are. They're great live band, great band all together. And uh, Randy Bly came out, sang a song with them. I think that hit the internet and blew up a little bit. Uh, Suicide Boys, you know, I can leave them. Not, not, a, not a fan of uh of what they did it's it's just tough man it's i think it's tough to just have to where tech nine came out and and he's like the only dude on stage but he commanded the stage these guys had like a couple of dudes on stage did not command the stage but man we we were daniel and i were looking up like spotify downloads and stuff i mean they have like multiple times more downloads than most of the bands on this bill so they were up awfully high because they played. Uh, they played actually after Lamb of God, and it was it was crazy to see. There was there were some people into it. A lot of people hated it. I try not to be a hater. I've talked about this in the past. You know, my son listens to a lot of the SoundCloud rap, the Auto Tune rap, and you try not to just be the old guy in the room. But yeah, Suicide Boys did nothing for me. Uh, Lamb of God killed it as always came out you know they they were the pyro was going the lights were going everything was great megadeth how can you go wrong with megadeth so good so good and then slipknot always kill it at every show so yeah man so not fest iowa from where i was my vantage point awesome one thing i was going to get to earlier was during the not fest twitch live stream that we did uh, if we did a couple of hype trains, level five hype trains, uh, we were going to ride this ring of fire and uh, we'll have to post the video. I know we have some some POV footage and I think there's even footage of us getting on this thing with the ring of fire, this rinkity dinkity. It was basically just a ring, you know, shot you around a couple of times, left you upside down here and there. But man, that thing looks sketchy as hell. And uh, And Daniel is not a big fan of rides like that. I can give or take them. Um, I think he was scared to death. I think he wanted to get out of it. But uh, yeah, we we got the level five hype trains and the watchers, the listeners came through and got us to two level five hype trains and got us onto the ring of fire, which was crazy. We'll have to post the video. Daniel, Daniel and I also did some vignettes earlier in the day. We did like, you know, check out the museum, check out the merch. And uh, if you look closely, I may or may not be struggling through those because that was just a few hours after uh, going to sleep from the night before because we did those early right when we first got to the grounds. So, yeah, a lot of fun there. And, uh, yeah, so check out all of the NotFest Iowa stuff. It will be posted on NotFest YouTube, and I think you will all enjoy it. But, yeah, overall, you know, I got up the next day. I, did, I didn't I did go out. I know some of the other folks went out after NotFest Iowa, and uh, but I knew I had to get up and drive home on Sunday. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn in for the night and see you guys in LA. So I go to bed. I wake up texting everybody that I'm, I'm out 
And, uh, you know, some people had still been up all night uh, because they had to catch planes the next morning and they're just like, you know, screw it, go to the airport and fly out and all that stuff. So overall, great experience in Iowa. Loved it. Met some listeners, met some watchers, met some Twitch watchers, Twitch streamers and all that. And, uh, and, and the biggest moment of the entire, of the entire day for me was we knew that a clip of one of our interviews was going to be played at some point during the day on the giant jumbotron screens that they have there. And, uh, we did not know when it was going to happen. So we both, Daniel and I both talked is like, as soon as we pop up on the big screen, you know, you take over the Twitch stream. Other person going to run up to the screen, get some photos, take some video and all that stuff. So if you follow me on social media on Instagram, Facebook and whatnot, you will have seen the giant screens with my big old mug on it. And I mean, those things are gigantic. If you if you really look at the uh, scale of it compared to some of the stuff on stage or whatever, and pretty intense to see an interview I did from my basement with Jesse Leach up on a giant on the up on the giant screens for everybody to see. Total pinch me moment, and uh, definitely definitely one of the highlights of of starting this podcast. You never you definitely don't ever know where it's going to go. You don't think it's going to end up on the. Uh, on the Jumbotron and a Knotfest in Iowa. So hopefully they do the same thing in Knotfest LA. And I hopefully, uh, and, and if you guys are there in LA, take some video. I got some photos and I got some video from people in the crowd. Uh, so from different perspectives. So that was cool to see. Uh, posted some of those. What a crazy this whole podcast thing has been. What an adventure. Thank you guys for all being along with me on this. And uh, we do have the 2X and 3X shirts in. So if you're listening, you want a 2X, 3X Talk To Me shirt, make sure to reach out to me, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, however you follow me, and then we will get that together. Uh, The 2X and 3X are going to be $25 with free shipping. And then I still have some large and extra large left over that are $20 with free shipping. So reach out to me, get a Talk To Me t-shirt, keep this trainer rolling. And with all that being said... Make sure to come hang out with me, Not Fest Twitch. That's Throwback Throwdown with Toomey, Thursdays, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you listen to this before tonight, we've got CJ Pierce of Drowning Pool and Vicky from The Agonist on tonight. And Matt Nas from Roach Coach should be jumping on for a segment. So yeah, so Throwback Throwdown with Toomey, Not Fest official Twitch. Come hang out, 5 to 7 p.m. And with all that being said... Let's check out my conversation with Elijah Witt from Cane Hill, and then you guys have a great week. Welcome to the great, the fantastic, the amazing Elijah Witt of Cane Hill to talk to me here on NotFest.com. Elijah, man, how have you been? Uh, vibing, chilling, relaxing, maxing, and acting all cool. Have you? How did you uh, handle uh, th- this latest uh, batch of storms down there? You guys okay? You have power uh, and all that good stuff? We got power, obviously. Uh, internet is back, although dismal. Um, <laughs> I didn't have much damage to my own property, but man, there's like a house like there's a bunch of houses, but like a block down one specific, like you look in their front yard and it looks like an entire house is piled up there, but the front looks fine. 
And then one day you drive by and the door is open. You can see through to the back and the entire back of the house is gone. Uh, so it's literally just luck of the top here. You know, how close are you to the, uh, to the, what is it? The golf there? The golf? I mean, ooh, shoot. Uh, probably like an hour and a half away from the golf. But I mean, it, it, it's a little bit difficult to explain because you can go down and then you hit all of these like swampy kind of almost marshy islands and then the gulf is just like right past it so i don't actually know i don't like the gulf i don't go much <laughs> well i was just trying to figure out how how far in inland uh you know that you guys were to oh, not far uh, enough <laughs> <laughs> right i mean i'm up here uh, outside of louisville and we got hit by you know the remnants of it so i mean oh, it, yeah, it definitely it definitely my spread my wife's family man. out in uh paintsville like east kentucky they were uh they still they had like some horrific flash floods from it. Like we're just sitting in Alabama, like damn, store's gone, sick. Uh, and then we get calls around like we're flooding. And I'm like, oh, hot damn. Then New York flooded. It was that's the craziest storm I've ever seen. Yeah, like, that's Katrina was wild, but the the sheer distance this thing traveled and the amount of regions it just whipped like a bitch. Kind of crazy. You had to have been pretty young during Katrina, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was. Whoosh, eighth seventh seventh grade and i literally moved to virginia a month before it happened because my parents did that whole uh split up thing so uh i just kind of watched it from the sidelines so i didn't have any of that that trauma from it um so this was like the this was this was new (laughs) right (laughs) so are you thinking about moving to virginia to get away from uh the next one you could not pay me to move to Virginia, but I do <laughs> want to move to either North Carolina or Kentucky and just go back to my wife's homeland where they talk funny and, you know, <laughs> make fried food with lard. I'm into that. Bring it on, man. Yeah, you come hang out at my house all you want. Um, you Western Kentucky? Because that's basically Indiana. You can't lie to me. No, well, technically I am in Indiana, so, <sighs> but, you know. Ah. Uh. <laughs> but you know it's easier to say Louisville than uh, you know try to explain that I'm in Floyd's Knobs, so which is so the best town name ever. Floyd's Knobs, yeah, I'd love to give Floyd's Knobs a little bit of twist, you know. Mm-hmm. There you go, bring put it, it on, 11. man. Put Floyd's Knobs to eleven. <laughs> so what's been up with the band, man? I know you guys went independent, and we've been releasing singles here and there, man. And uh, you know, I was going down the rabbit hole today of just kind of catching up with what you guys been up to, man. So so just kind of tell me what's uh, what's up with the band. Oh man, so much. I mean, yeah, so we've been independent since before the pandemic. It was kind of like this precursor to disaster for us. Um, Like right before everything shut down, we, uh, our contract ended with our label uh, and then our contract ended with our management and everybody was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's pick up the pieces. We'll get a few tours going on. Uh, We'll pick up a new manager, get a new label, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Uh, and then right after we had secured management, the pandemic, uh, reared its ugly face and we're like, okay, (laughs) okay. Uh, we had, we had been in talks with a few labels and, um, you know, naturally they were like, we gotta take a break from signing with everything that's going on. We're like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Like, sure. I get it. Um, when we're going to release stuff anyway, because, we wanted our Spotify numbers to get better. We wanted our socials to get better, like the whole shebang. And we just wanted to finally release more music after an acoustic EP. Uh, so right. people didn't keep saying we changed our sound because of a five song EP. <laughs> you sold out, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we sold out to the acoustic fan base. Like, the, If I was going to sell out, let me tell you, I'd write some Three Doors Down song. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't write an acoustic EP 
I would write a radio rock 95.7 The Rock uh, playing the best. And it would be a hit. Let me tell you. It would be, be a hit. Um, instead, we put out a bunch of heavy shit. Um, I, I mean, like, we, we took, I, me and the guys took over the business management, the money, the managing insurance, marketing, uh, literally anything you can name, we kind of took, like, by the horns. Um, we hired a bunch of people that we trust and we like. And we kept like our PR stuff, like I, talk, I was talking to you about Amy, like we kept a few people. We retained right. a small amount of our team that we really, really liked. Um, and I honestly think we've seen more success kind of doing it on our own and knowing what we want to be and how we want to push ourselves into the world than we did when we were under um, like a big label. Where like I'd, I'd say a moderate sized label. They're probably bigger now, but a moderate sized label and a big management um, because we were given the control now, like we're not giving you know, we were, we were relinquished the control. <laughs> right. So how have you enjoyed kind of that, that aspect of the music business? Because I mean, you know, the, the days of signing million dollar record contracts and, you know, being so drunk that you have to be thrown on stage is kind of over, man. I feel like a lot of musicians now have to know that side of the music business and, and not only, you know, the music business, but also run a Twitch channel and, you right. know, and, and Patreon and everything else, man. You've got so much stuff going on now. No, those, those two things you mentioned, I haven't dug into yet. Like I, I'm, I'm so in over my head. <laughs> uh, Twitch has been something we wanted to do and Patreon something we want to do. We just literally don't have the time um, because we're doing everything else right now. But right. I think that it's given us like a new lease on, on, on this band and the life of this band and what we're able to do and accomplish on our own um, to the point where we know if we bring in another label or we bring in a larger team, we are more, uh, we, we're smarter <laughs> than we were the <laughs> right. first time. Um, and I don't, I don't know uh, if anybody who has a band right now is looking for a million dollar deal. I can, I can just lay this one out. You got to pay it back. <laughs> they right. give you a million dollars. You got to make a million dollars. So I'd rather take like a, a smaller cut of money and keep a larger cut of the song, like ownership of the song. Um, and most labels don't want to do that now, but, we're working on finding some. Um, and it's been fun, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been really fun because this has just been like uh, like a year and a half of me throwing ideas at the wall like it's a, a square of cheese and seeing if it sticks. And if it doesn't, it's like I got 17,000 more cheeses in my pocket. I don't care. It's not costing what me we're all doing. Much. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely all doing that, man. It's like, you know, uh, trying to understand why this happens and why this happens. And there's no, even in this world of podcasting and interviews and, and just, you know, the notfest.com and trying to figure out why this article, you know, went viral and this one didn't, you know, it's, it's nuts to try to figure that out and you'll keep running your head into a wall trying to figure that out. I think even like the most seasoned marketing professional is literally just throwing cheese at a wall. Uh, like there, <laughs> there's stuff that is like very obviously should work. And then it doesn't. Right. And you're like, can what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right. I put money into this. You said it would work. And it didn't. And then you'll right. do something like as a joke and it blows up or Twitter gets a hold of it or TikTok gets a hold of it. And just, just like that in the blink of an eye, you've got a hit or like oh, a, yeah. a, a massive publication or an article for whatever reason. I mean, and sometimes it's negative. Sometimes it's positive. Like 
I don't know. It's funny to watch. Like from an outside perspective, when it's not my own content that I'm throwing and I'm, I'm seeing the other people throw it, I'm like, ooh, that did really well. I'm like, damn, that failed. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely throwing the, the cheese at TikTok and everything else. But the thing is, I mean, even even James Hetfield recently was talking about Inner Sandman and he's like, you can't sit down to write an anthem. You can't sit down... You know, and basically, you know, uh, create a TikTok dance and hope it catches on. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, he didn't say that last part, but I mean, it's the same concept. You exactly. can't try to make a TikTok dance go viral. You just, it just happens. Yeah, you literally, you make 80 dances, and I think statistically, one of them should do quite well. Right. Um, the more you do, the better off you are, and that's that's literally what we're doing with singles. We're putting out as many singles we can, thinking this one will do well. Nah, this one will do well. And sometimes it does, sometimes it don't. So have you liked the kind of the singles world as opposed to putting out a full-length album or, or where are you at with that? I'm like, I'm torn. As as a fan of music, I love albums. I think right. that they're bodies of work that you're able to create like this, this grandeur idea compared to a single. Um, but a single in of itself if you do it correctly and you build a little story around it that's like having a bunch of novellas instead of a series of novels you know right so i think it depends on how it's put out if you're able to build a story on it and and literally what we're doing is just trilogies um so far i'm not i mean nothing set in stone like i said nothing it's set in stone (laughs) for us it Uh, could change tomorrow but I mean, that's why we're doing trilogies because it feels like a miniature album where we can build this little story that has a bit more depth than just one single. So like as a traditional music fan, I wish I was putting out albums as somebody that understands that attention span in 2021 is at an all time low. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't see the intelligent decision behind putting out albums unless you're surrounding that with extra content around it, like an album plus singles or an yeah. album and then some EPs surrounding it. But just an album, I don't think is a good business decision. An artistic decision, yes. So I'm struggling. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was I was noticing the other day that, you know, Old Town Road obviously was big and it's right at two minutes, maybe a little bit less than two minutes long. And then there was a TikTok dance video or a TikTok dance song that one of my kids wanted me to play and it was right at two minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, you know, like singles used to be three minutes, 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> but like there, even that's dwindling down to where you just need like a verse and a chorus and maybe just a chorus, you know, you don't even need anything else anymore. It's very disheartening as an artist to like come to that realization that you have to shorten your songs. I mean, and I think, that the metal community is a little bit different than the rest of them. Um, yeah. Like metal fans, they want more substance. So you're like treading this thin line between making something that is like commercially uh, I don't accessible, know, viable, yeah, you know. commercially accessible. Exactly. Uh, and then you have the other side where it has to be like this, this artistic uh, being or substance to it. So, I mean, I've tried to get, I mean, as as a guy who loves long songs, like Gojira is one of my favorite metal bands. Oh, yeah. Their songs clock in at like five to six minutes. Love that. Um, I try to get James, our guitarist, to write longer songs, and he we've gotten like close to physically fighting about it because he's like, <laughs> it needs right. to be three minutes. 
15 seconds. The chorus has to hit at 25 seconds. And if not, I'm going to throw this song in the drain. I'm like, hear me out. A minute and a half intro. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Chorus doesn't come in until minute three. What do you think? Thoughts? I think you're uh, you're treading water there, man. At least you could maybe make it two tracks, you know, make a make an intro into the song and, and an interlude then the, then or something. The intro you know? just gets gotta... skipped. That's my beef. Well, I know. It um, makes me so sad. <laughs> so does does one of the guys in the band have the you know the recording equipment now and and to where you guys get is everything in house basically at this point? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean James. And our drummer, Devin, both have, like, recording setups, and they kind of were getting to the point where they are able to work remotely with each other and build things together because they're, like, the two main musical songwriters, and then me and Ryan are kind of here for, like, input and thoughts. Um, uh, but we we actually end up tracking everything with our friend John, who lives 15 minutes from my house. He's got, a like, a pretty fucking decent setup. It's, like, it's in an apartment, but I think... Nowadays, if you're like paying to be in a multi-million dollar studio, you're throwing money right. down the toilet. Um, so that John Delis does does all of the like final production and everything like that. And I I actually track vocals exclusively with him because I like how they sound better. <laughs> so you're doing these vocals in an apartment? Is that what oh, you're telling me? Oh yeah, inside of a closet, <laughs> no AC, very hot and sweaty. I love it, man. That that that's what's so amazing about albums now. You know, like like the the Kane Hill stuff I'm listening to today just sounded so good, and you know you're doing it at some dude's apartment. It's that you know? professional so it's, quality audio and that like uh, that Billie Eilish quality studio. You know, except Billie Eilish's <laughs> studio is probably a little bit more expensive than an apartment. No, right, yeah. our dude's apartments in Kenner. I can't imagine it's more than you don't know what Kenner owns, but. Shitty suburb, probably like eight hundred dollars a month. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hey, eight hundred dollars a month—that's not too bad. Is it? Is it at least a two-bedroom? You know, at least have two bedrooms. Two bedrooms, just one. One all of right, them is a right. studio, though. So what are you going to do? One right. bathroom. Son of a bitch needs a second one. Yeah, just for we're his own comfort. I'm sick of feeling like I'm going into his wife's bathroom and she's got to walk in there after me. Like, <laughs> Poor lady. Hey, that's an awesome wife, though, man. To uh, to give up the second bat, you know, the bedroom for the uh, recording studio. So you know, you definitely have to have someone like that around to support you. Musicians' wives sacrifice more than anyone else I know. I agree. My wife could go at length to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife just had to deal with me in Nodfest, Iowa, and I'm texting her like, yeah, "This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing." And you know, so yeah, she's right there with everybody. She's like, "I got the fucking kids." I'm uh, <laughs> still at the house, <laughs> but I did, I will say that she got to go to Louder Than Life, and uh, she she saw Metallica without me. So wow, the disrespect. Yeah, no, I she know, deserves right? it. She deserves it. <laughs> she got Metallica. I got Megadeth. I think we 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 broke even somewhere in the end. You tell that to Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've just I've been uh, recently uh, listening to his autobiography on on uh, on audio on the Audible app or whatever, and it's just funny just how much he just still holds holds the, everything against Metallica. Like, like, dude, you made Rust in Peace. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah, but you know Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I I don't know. 
I know far more Metallica songs. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I'm like much better versed in Metallica, but at least Dave wasn't a part of St. Anger. Um, there you go. See. Even if the songs themselves are okay, it sounds fucking terrible. And I think most people are, except most people would agree, but our old sound engineer said that he loved St. Anger. And then we parted ways with him like a year later. <laughs> and you might think that it's not tied together, but in my head, that's why. Well, you got to worry about a guy that does sound that <laughs> loves St. Anger. You know, at one point you're going to watch a video back and you're like, does that, is it snare drum just pinging really loud? Like, you know, yeah, he, he might give you the, fucking, give you guys the snare treatment. You take, you take Devin's Vinnie Paul snare and you turn it into a trash can. That's no. disrespect. I Not know, just man. to us, to Vinnie. <laughs> I, I still and I was actually listening again today, and your bass player's tone is still just killer, man. I love it. Yes, I saw that, you guys, when I saw you guys. Uh, what was it with Devil Driver? I was like, man, that yeah. guy's tone. That's tone the backbone of this band. You have no idea. Yeah. No, we'll run out of edits for a song to give John when he's mixing, except for mm-hmm. a month and a half of him telling him bass tone's not right. Bass tone sucks. <laughs> you gotta get that bass tone louder. It's really like I think. In like modern metal and metal core, especially, which is kind of where John comes from, is like the more core area of metal. Um, I mean, bass just kind of sounds like, boom, 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 and yeah, it's behind yeah. two guitars, and there's not many four pieces that like don't turn the backtrack guitar up into a being like Ryan's our second guitarist. If he's not yeah. as loud as James while we're playing, then there's a problem with the song, you know. Especially because oh, yeah. we just like to rub that tone in people's faces. Like they don't get to have that tone. <laughs> That's Ryan's tone. That's in the finger, son. I've, I, you know, I've seen bands not even have bass players on stage, and they Makes just run sick. the bass track. Makes like, me on, violently sick and ill. <laughs> That's not a come band. On. Yeah, that's, that's a uh, group of dudes singing. <laughs> so you're saying that a band has to have a bass player if you're going to be with. Occasional exceptions. I can admit that there will be exceptions where I think a band is great with that. Like, uh, I mean, Animals as Leaders doesn't their guitarist literally play the bass on his like eighth string while he's going. Fine, right? Cool, like that. Uh, if but if 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 you don't have somebody who's that dumb talented at guitar that they can also play bass, I think you probably need a bass player. <laughs> Opinion set in stone. There you go. Please I love it, man. Hire a guitarist who plays bass. I'll respect you a little bit more. I, I would like you more if you had a bassist, but we'll make it there. Baby steps. I mean, I, I think 90% of bass players are just failed guitarists. A bummer. <laughs> a bummer. That's why Ryan's bass tone so good. He grew up thinking bass was cool. For see, me too. Like, yeah, see, you and yeah. him, birds of a feather, I don't understand it, but I'm really grateful for it. I always joke that I was at the middle school lunch table and me and my group of friends, they all said they were like, I want to be a guitar player. I want to be a guitar player. I want to be a guitar player. And I was like, well, these guys are going to need a bass player. So hard to get kicked out of the band when there's no other bass players around. Where you know? are you going to find a dude that even owns a bass? I remember my second band in high school. Uh, they didn't have a bass player. And I had played guitar at the time, and they were like, hey, like literally the classic, why don't you just play bass? I spent so much money on bass equipment <laughs> just right. for us to practice once with me on bass, then be like, 
uh, and then make me the vocalist. And I was like, is somebody going to buy this off of me? Right. <laughs> are you going to, are you going to pay my mom back for this bass equipment? <laughs> Did you have to go back to mom and say like, uh, actually, I didn't make it as the bass player. I, I did. What yeah. was mom's reaction to that? Yeah, she told me to find somebody to buy it um, <laughs> now. Nice. So I did. I did. My old bassist bought it and became the bassist of that band. So. Well, well there you go. Law of attrition or whatever. I don't know. At least it, at least it all worked out in the end, man. I remember um, my grandmother uh, found a... It was like an elementary school talent show booklet or whatever the other day. And it made me realize that I had jumped on stage as a kid with a fake plastic guitar. And me and another guy, like, we lip synced like a poison song. Very sick. And, but, but I remember that day that kids were bringing in, I mean, to lip sync. And we, we were all, you know, it was fourth grade. But they were bringing in actual electric guitars. And I was just blown away that, like, I was like, your parents must be rich. I'll tell you, my first electric guitar was a Sim Sonic. Don't know what okay. that is. Uh, it had an amplifier built into the body with a oh, little so switch cool. that turned it on. And it was like probably like a 22 inch scale, like just the, the tiniest little baby guitar. And that lasted yeah. me 10 or 15 years until I bought myself a Squire Fender, a uh, little hey. Strat. Nice. Why I do it. Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't, if, if you're buying a little kid a nice guitar you stupid <laughs> i think there there needs to be like a, a middle ground between like garbage guitar because if you give them too bad of a guitar first and it's just too hard to play they're not really and doesn't stay like in it. a tune then you're gonna then you're you're gonna just you know uh stunt the growth there but if you give them something that's decent and, and, you know, key stays in tune and it's not the actions and not all, you know, it's not like a bow and arrow or anything like that with the neck. I think that's where you need to be. But yeah, if you get if you, $120 square, man, perfect. Right. If I were to give an eight year old that guitar and they didn't love it, they'd be wrong. Yeah. I still have it oh, yeah. four feet away from me. It doesn't work. It, <laughs> I, it, it was in the rain a few times, but you know, sentimental. Well, you know, were you were you out there like playing to a girl or something? Why, why is it in the rain? Nope, I forgot it out in the rain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I disrespected myself. Yeah, that's awful, man. You gotta <laughs> that's a demerit. Did you grow up in the New Orleans area? Are you are you currently in the New Orleans area? Is that I, where you guys are from? Yeah, I am I'm I'm in the New Orleans area. I grew up uh probably like an hour and a half north in the middle of absolute bumfuck. Uh, Folsom, nice. Louisiana, baby. Population of oh. 100. More cows <laughs> than humans. Um, so it doesn't really exist, nor does it matter. But, you know, just a not a good old country boy. So were you aware of, like, the, you know, all the cool stuff coming out of New Orleans, like, music-wise? Or, or was it just nah. you were just on another planet? I, yeah, when I, when I was growing up, I listened to, like, uh, Meatloaf, uh, Bill <laughs> Collins and Genesis, like, my mom was super into all of the uh, bands that had like states or cities as names. So Boston, Kansas, uh, Chicago. Yep, exactly. Chicago. Lots of horns in that motherfucker. Oh, uh, hey. I grew up on this artist called Johnny Holiday, which is like a French pop singer. Don't know why. Uh, <laughs> and Jesus Christ Superstar. So I didn't know about Down or Goat Horror or Crowbar. <laughs> if, that's, if that's where <laughs> we're going with it. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish. I didn't even. I didn't even know about Pantera until high school. So. 
did you have an older brother or something that kind of kind of played you some I music did. though yeah i knew and yeah. when i was going into high school like junior high school he got me into like corn slipknot 36 crazy fist uh primer he listened to a lot of um like he was he was into the good stuff like even old <laughs> five finger death punch like before they went five finger death punch right uh, yeah so he introduced he was my introdu uh my introduction to metal um and i don't think i got it like i was like oh this my brother likes this um but then right. i got into like under oath and like kind of that like post hardcore movement oh, after yeah. a while uh, and then made my way back i made my way back to metal was he did he play at all or did he just listen he just listened uh he worked for this company called hot local music that was um they were like that sounds on the, terrible. <laughs> it's not good, but they were on the verge <laughs> of being the music company that worked with MySpace music, like that was going to become MySpace right. music. Uh, and the owner backed out last minute because he didn't think it would go anywhere. So that's smart. Great um, move. So what does he think about all the Kane Hill stuff? He is my first point of reference. I send it to him, and if he tells me he doesn't like it, I will never be okay with releasing it. Uh, so I, he, he's a fan. I think he's just happy that his little brother like pursued metal, uh, because he wasn't afforded the opportunity or didn't have the talent or whatever it was. Um, like he was a, he's a banker, uh, (laughs) he followed a different path. So I think, I think he loves it. I think he's proud of me. I think he's proud of me. Uh, I'll ask him now. Now I need confirmation. (laughs) (laughs) You do. You do like me, right? Um, I mean, at least having him in, in the banking field. I mean, maybe you know you can reach out to him and be like, "Hey, we got a chunk of money. What should I do with it?" Kind of thing. Uh, when I get a good chunk of money that I can do something with, I'll hit him up. Yeah. Right now, okay. all the money that <laughs> right. comes into this band, I already have. Like, I have plans. I, the money is allocated months before it comes in because I mean this this train has not stopped since before COVID. So. Uh, once we start making those hundo thousands, I'll be like, hey, can I open an account? <laughs> <laughs> can I get an account at your bank? And he's still like, no. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no get bigger. We, Not good enough. We don't We don't have overdraft fees that'll cover what you need to do. Um <laughs> When it comes to your voice, man, you've got you've got a few a few different um you know, styles you kind of go through, man. What, what do you like the screaming? You, I mean, you like your kind of low singing and stuff, man. What, what, where is your favorite uh, spot to be? I guess. I, I mean, as a vocalist, I love singing. I think singing is so much more fun. And I feel like I get to show off a lot more, especially like coming from this band originally being just like kind of like new metal core and just yelly, yelly, scream, scream. Um, that now I, I just get kind of like get to showcase, what I'm able to do with my actual voice, but I don't think there's anything more cathartic than just screaming the fuck out of some lines about some angry shit. Um, I mean that it, they both get me off in a different way. You know, like one is like my ego is boosted because I'm like, damn, I'm good. And then the other one is, uh, <laughs> is like, I, I just get everything off my chest and into the world. Um, as long as it sounds like pretty nineties, I'm pretty stoked on it. Yeah, it's definitely like some some deads in your voice, and like even like maybe a little Static X in there somewhere. Yeah, and yeah All my I mean it's comes from that kind of early new metal stuff, and yeah, uh, like mid '90s, early 2000s, and I think the singing definitely like 
pushes a little bit farther into the early nineties and a little bit of eighties. Yeah. It's good stuff though, man. I, I really, really enjoy what you do and uh, I'm glad you came on uh, last minute for me. Yeah, man. I wasn't expecting a little message out of the blue. Um, but I love doing this. Uh, thanks for letting me cook before coming on. <laughs> yeah. What'd you cook, man? Anything good? Uh, I made some turkey burgers that had like uh, onion and parsley and a little bit of kitchen seasoning, garlic mixed into it. Um, first time I ever made it. So I, it came out. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am not like, I'm not good at making things over and over again until I perfect them. I just have to hope the first time it comes out right and then I move on. So I'll never do it right. again. Um, but I loved it. See, I think I would be more like if I make it one time and it's good, like that's part of the weekly rotation now. Nah, challenge you know. completed. Time to move on to something <laughs> harder. Right. Yeah, I could see that, I guess. But yeah, I'm definitely more of a because uh, I'm the cook in the house, so you know. What's your favorite it's, dish? It's, uh, yeah, favorite dish to make. Um, I don't know, man. I, I really, I really enjoy these Phillies that I make. The Philly cheesesteaks, adding a bunch of crap into Ooh. them. You know, like the, the onions and the mushrooms and the, you know, it's like it's like you get the stuff, but then you also got to buy extra of everything too. So you end up with like these just monster sandwiches. Yeah, that, I mean, they're really you, good. You had me sold at Phillies. That's my favorite sandwich <laughs> other than a po' boy. If you if you have me out of this state, I will find yeah. a Philly cheesesteak even if I'm still in the deep south. I don't care. That's the best sandwich. Yeah. Good choice. No, yeah, you go to you go to Louisiana. You got to get a shrimp po' boy. Oh, yeah. So good. It's what I live <laughs> off of. Either that or canes. Unless yeah, I think I'm those cooking. are starting to pop up around here. So that's I think those are crazy still... to me. Uh, but I mean, I hope people like it up there. I know that my wife's mom came and and got canes for the first time, and she's from Eastern Kentucky, like I said. And I was like, oh my god, did you like it? She's like, it was great. I was like, yeah, that sauce is kicking huh and she said oh i didn't like the sauce i just like the chicken yeah, like, i was like yeah like, get out that's the that chicken has no flavor the flavor's in the sauce <laughs> <laughs> they make the chicken flavorless because the sauce has the flavor okay <laughs> enjoy it is that the commercial um so i saw it looks like you guys have some touring coming up next year what was the last what was the last shows you guys did ship rocked we ended on a cruise and then found out about the pandemic when we got off. <laughs> uh, and all of us were sick afterwards. So you do the math. It's funny because everybody either, you know, thinks they had COVID at one point. Like before they didn't know what COVID was, everybody's like, you know, I was weirdly sick before all of this. Like, like, like last December, the December in 2019, we were all just weirdly sick yeah. that we never, and it was like, and now looking back on it could have been, I mean, might have like been. we all, I mean, my whole, my whole group got like flu tests because that's what yeah. everyone thought it was. And the flu test came back negative and we we're like, Oh, that's crazy. Cause this is the flu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, you know, like maybe a week later it was like, okay, everything shut down. Cause COVID flu like symptoms. And we're like, that makes yeah. a bit of sense. Okay. Uh, didn't die. Yeah, we flew to, my wife and I flew to uh, San Francisco for uh, one of the Mr. Bungle reunion shows. And that that was in fe- like mid-February around Valentine's Day. And that was yeah. like when it was really 
ramping up and like you heard about this thing called covid and like it's over in europe now or something it's it's coming our way and you know people were starting to wear masks on the plane a little bit more and it, it was it was just like yeah we were looking around in the airport and it was you could tell something different something was going, going on, on. But it, yeah <laughs> like this weird shift in like the socioeconomic system like ooh, people are getting <laughs> strange i've seen yeah. enough apocalyptic movies to know the onset of an apocalypse and that's literally what it felt like like just like this shift in how people were acting and responding to like being in public and like what they were willing and not willing to do this is strange what is it 28 weeks later yeah we went to uh again the wife and i we went to uh florida we went to universal studios uh july maybe about a month or two ago and it was just weird because over the pa you know as you're walking in you're like everyone please stay six feet apart and you know just like that weird i'm like this sounds like a movie it's like it's it's very movie like man it was it was very scary not scary but But kind of like off-putting yeah like like unnerving like you're hearing all this stuff that that you would hear in like an end of the world scenario and it's just kind of become like that new normal where you have these like dystopian voices telling you to do these dystopian things. Yeah. Uh, like, like you're in the hunger games meets, uh, what I, he is legend. I am legend. He is like, fucks. uh, I am legend. <laughs> Both great. Um, it, there was a point in the, not to bring it up, but kind of in the George Floyd stuff, and then the pandemic all kind of being on top of each other. There was a video of of like an armored car going down like a residential street, mm-hmm. like telling everyone to go inside. And and like I think they arrested someone for just sitting on their porch. You know, it's just it was just like just crazy stuff that like you said, man. Yeah, then, all out of that, all out of a movie. That whole thing had much more. They say that whole thing, the the racial injustices and the police brutality was just another layer on top of it. Right. Uh, that I think made it far more dystopian. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't. That was fucked. I mean, I was watching videos every single day, and it was just it was like literally watching America turn into or or I guess show their hand as kind of the oppressive force that they were. And like, given that they were given the opportunity because of the fragile state of the world at the time, they kind of just pushed their boundaries uh, as like this militaristic government force against the people. Um, I have yeah. many opinions on this. So <laughs> you can open the can of worms yeah. if you want. I'm here. No. Yeah. It's just, even like uh what was it portland oregon man like that just that that whole scene just looked insane yeah uh new orleans was very fortunate in that uh it it only very very temporarily turned into a war zone um yeah but i think this city has always been relatively good about i mean this this is a it's it's a black city it's it's run by black people it is uh, the population of black people was much larger than white people. So I think if you were to try to enforce like uh, neo-Nazi white supremacist kind of morals, that it will always get shut down in a very dramatic, quick, violent way. Um, love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was doing a, a side podcast and my co-host was in New Orleans like that whole time. So, yeah, I was definitely kind of had the, the finger on the pulse down there. 
with what was going on. Yeah, there was a little bit, but not too much. It got that shit got shut down real fast. <laughs> yeah. Um. So switching back to touring. Um. So when will touring, uh, you know, start back up? Looks like maybe February for you yeah. guys. We made it very clear to everyone we worked with that we didn't even want to bother trying for 2021. Um, which in hindsight, I feel like was a great idea. I mean, while there are some tours that have kind of continued without any kind of hitch, um, it's just kind of like a toss of the coin, like, but like a three sided coin where two of the sides are bad, uh, and one's good. So, I mean, we've, it's, it's hard watching all your friends, you know, going on tour and playing huge shows, doing not fest or louder than life or, or whatever the fuck it is. Um, and we're Mm -hmm. just kind of sitting at home twiddling our thumbs. But this was our plan the whole time. We've uh, we've been working on new music instead and taking the opportunity to kind of like build a new soundscape for ourselves so that when we do come back, I mean, we don't, we, we're not going to have time to play any old songs. It's going to be all new songs. Uh, and uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to come back to Europe first anyway. Europe, Europe rules. I would much rather play oh, yeah. in Europe than America, and that's not like a slight against America. It's just, I mean, I think our music is more targeted towards the European world at this point. Um, and we talked about the attention span and uh, the like, the consumer mindset. Um, and I think that's very much like an American thing. Like uh, America loves quick, fast, consumable content. Well, I think Europe is still very much based, based and rooted in, in their massively long history of thousands and thousands of years of just devoting so much time to the arts, the Renaissance. I mean, even even during medieval times when like science and art were a no-no, the art and architecture of, of the religious world was so fucking massive that I think it just ingrained in the mentality that art is important and the artistic side of music is still important over there. So I love Europe and they get it first. <laughs> You know, talking about bands going out on tour and, you know, in a band, you know, your size, if you guys miss two or three days on tour, I mean, that that wrecks your entire tour budget and could, you know, could could wreck the entire tour. So it's a huge gamble. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these bigger tours can probably, you know, maybe sustain a couple of days here and there and reschedule and blah, blah, but. But when you when you're out there touring and you're living off of day to day and you get derailed and then all of a sudden you have to start doing hotel rooms and everything else, yep. you know, in Colorado, you know, yep. 100 miles away uh, or, you know, thousands of miles away, you know, you 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 could really, you know, sink the band off of one tour. So, yep. I mean, you really have to um, either a, you know, go out on a bigger package like a corn tour or something like that or stay at home. I don't think you, I don't think there's really much of a middle ground. Yeah. I mean that, that is like the very <clears throat> unfortunate truth of it for us. And, and just another reason why we decided not to, because the risk just kind of isn't worth the reward. I would love to be playing shows. Um, I have been wildly depressed for two years because I'm not playing shows. Like that was my life. 260 yeah. days out of the year playing shows. Like, my cardio is really bad now because of it. Cause I, <laughs> I tried to run the other day and almost threw up after 20 minutes of jogging slowly nice. uh so not being able to does fucking suck it, it is the worst um but i would rather deal with it than risk everything that we've built in this downtime and everything that like we have we have very 
very slowly constructed for ourselves. And like we built a cushion for ourselves. We have like this little bank that so cute keeps us safe financially. <laughs> um, and if we went on tour, you're right. I mean, like, I mean, that's the way I've been seeing it through the pandemic is that without going on tour, we have been more financially stable than we ever have been before because even without COVID expenses on tour are crazy. You have your crew, you have the merch payments, you have to pay your manager, you have to pay your booking agent, you got to pay back your label, gas, insurance, per diems, food. And then you come back with nothing or negative Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part until you become like a sizable like band that's worth it. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to, to get us to accept a tour at this point anyway. And we've had plenty of offers where we've just been like, and it going to work out for us, but we appreciate it. Uh, it's just not, not in the cards. Money's not right. worth it when I know I could make that much money on a single merch drop with some good, sh- uh, like good designs in it. So it's been like a, a weird shift in the business plan of this band. Um. So whatever, I want to play shows though. I'd t- I'd 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 lose some money to play a good show right now. <laughs> um, did you guys ever, or th- did you guys think about doing the live stream? Yes and no. Um, I know that fans really like him or like them. Um, I was about I, I mixed mm and him at the same time, and it sounded really <laughs> bad in my head. Right. Uh, I know fans yeah. really like stuff like that. Um, I just, I think collectively the band never saw us as having the ability to make something that we thought was worth putting into a live stream. Like if we did it, we'd want it to be very true to Kane Hill and, and have the right sound, the right aesthetic, um, the, the uh, a larger than life kind of feel. Um, for a band that has like a small budget, which we've always been able to accomplish with our sound. But then when you get into the live streaming atmosphere, that sound just doesn't translate. So you have to put it into so many other different directions that we just didn't see as a feasible option to, to make a product that we wanted to put out. Um, so, I mean, we also looking at it, a lot of bands that did live streams or put on live concerts and things like that were, um, they weren't releasing new content that was kind of instead of releasing new music yeah. in such unprecedented times. Um, they were putting <laughs> out live streams and we said, eh, fuck that. We'll just do new content and we'll throw our little slice of cheese at the wall with that instead of a live stream. Um, and like the, the, the benefits of the live stream are obviously merch and ticket sales and fans are like, Ooh, it's like I'm there. Um, but putting out new music i just feel like is like that's our vibe for this as far as the pandemic goes we want to give you new content rebuild the band as far as sonically and aesthetically um and and move on from there when you can actually physically see us live yeah i did a couple of the um early live streams i was like you know i'll pay the 15 bucks Back when like everything was shut down, there was nothing to do. But now it's like now you're getting a mixture of some bands are still doing live streams, but you can also go to Louder Than Life or Not Fest. Yeah. Like it's so it's kind of like oh, I, why do I want to do that when I can now I can go see the big festival show and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so and, but there, there's people that don't feel comfortable going to live shows. So like in a in like to some degree I understand it, yeah. um, but 
I don't know, as as a person that, that like loves putting on a physical live show and I love the energy that yeah. you get from the crowd, I just something about it feels so unnatural and like unnerving right. about performing and having to give like the same performance as if I could see the people in the crowd, like whether they fucking hate it or they love it, like at least I'm able to like play off that energy and in yeah. a live stream atmosphere, it just I don't feel like it's it's not genuine to us, and it might be to some bands. I don't know. I'm not here to point my fingers, yeah. regardless of whether or not I'm pointing them. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but it was never it was never in our cards. I, I would I I would rather go to a physical show. I never spent a dime on live streams. I yeah. didn't. It, mm. Yeah, it was it was it was something it was something to do. It was Friday night, and I was at home. Yeah, I'll, you tell, know, you, I'll tell you one band was... that did it well though. Code Orange. Who's that? The first ones yeah. to do it, obviously, like maybe not the first ones to do it, but, but one of the like grandfathers of life. What's that concert. dog's name? Well, you got a dog back there? Yeah, of course. That's my big boxer boy. Hey, Polly, say hi. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's awesome. They they were able to have their brand translated through a live stream. I mean, if, yeah. if that's the the bar that's set, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I don't I don't have the means. I don't have the means to compete with that. Um, at a live show, I think our sound and our energy can compete with that easily on almost any level. Um, and but there's there's no way that I'm going to be able to make that happen on the internet on Twitch. And I could admit that that I, there would be shortcomings and I'd be embarrassed. Yeah, I would. I would. I honestly, personally, would feel weird doing a live stream. Yeah, I, I would. You almost like you almost felt like you would tense up or something and like not put on a good enough show. But the um, you know I went you know like I said did, I did one day at Louder Than Life. I did Not Fest Iowa. Both shows I had no problem with because I was outside. I did first show I went back to was Soulfly uh, a few weeks ago because Dino's playing guitar. I was like I got to see this, um, and it's in a smaller club. And I was just like that just made me feel a little bit weird. Yeah. But the, I know. went to one live show and it was on Monday. So it's on a Monday in New Orleans. Ain't nobody going. Uh, so there was plenty of room to like space out. There was six right. feet between me and everybody. Like the entire time, you almost couldn't close that gap except for like with the dudes in my band and people that I see regularly anyway. Um, so yeah. that was comfortable. But I think if I were to have gone to like a jam packed show that had a bunch of people at it, I probably would have left really early and just been like, ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even, right. even if they're doing like vaccination checks and and covid test checks it's like one people are faking it uh yeah. two you can still get it uh but i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to like mentally prepare myself to accept the fact that if i go on tour i'm gonna get covid uh and that's a hard pill to swallow scary right yeah, it's definitely it's definitely bizarre. I mean, like like I said, I went to Nodfest, Iowa, but I I even I wasn't allowed backstage, and I was part of the quote unquote talent. You know, I see like, that's under I, the name. Yeah, I know. I'm like, look at that right there on the in the name. But yeah, I stayed out in the crowd with the you know the the Twitch stream. Uh, we did we did a like a like a college game day style that's Twitch stream from uh, from Nodfest. It was a lot of fun, but it was still like. 
you know, I needed some food. So, you know, one of the guys had to go to catering, had to go get like a, the rapid test and bring food back. And it, it was, it was a little bit of a pain well, in the so butt, but uh, I had, had a ton had of fun. to take a rapid test to get in? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, if you wanted to, I guess there was past a certain point you had to have I a, mean, had to have a negative test for the like day. That's like the only way to do it responsibly now. I mean, um, yeah. I was talking to our friend, our, our old merch guy when we toured, Brian, he's like the guitarist of the Browning, or was, is, I don't know. Uh, but he is doing merch for Spirit Box now. And they were on that Limp Bizkit tour that had to get shut down because of COVID. And he was telling me that, I mean, they were smart. Um, they wore masks anytime they stepped off the bandwagon. They didn't leave their bandwagon unless it was to sound check or load in or literally go play and otherwise yeah. they isolated themselves and if you want to tour i can't think of another way that you can do it safely like right you, you shouldn't go into the general population of of the show because that's risking the entire tour party um which sucks because one of yeah. the coolest things i mean for me about playing a show is i get off stage I walk to the merch table. I meet people who like my music. I talk to them. I shake their hands. I hug them. I, I thank them for like being yeah. a, a part of this little community that I'm building. Um, and that's gone. Now it's just, it's work. That's it. It's no longer like, like you get 30 minutes of fun and the rest is desperately trying to stay healthy so that the tour can survive. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's part of the touring that I think a lot of people are going to miss with, you know, like you said, you you get off stage, you go out, you meet the people, you know, you you create that connection with fans. So you're, you know, part of your stage persona is, you know, I, I'm the singer of the band and blah, blah, blah. But then you get off stage and like, oh my God, he was so cool to me after the show. I'm going to be a fan for life. You're like missing out. Like some sort of human being or something. Like it it, it yeah. humanizes the artist. And I think that that's like, that is literally one of the best parts of live music is realizing yeah. dudes on stage are humans. Uh, I oh, like yeah. food. What? Um, massages. Whoa. Uh, long walks on the beach as long as there's no sharks, you know? Uh, and that's gone. So, I mean, at least if you're smart, it's gone. If you, you don't give a fuck, then you can still do it, I guess. But yeah. Now I think. Oh yeah. I mean gross. like one of, <laughs> Oh yeah. They're all gross. Well, they've always been gross, but now, now they're extra gross. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny that, you know, growing up listening to like a Pantera and getting to meet them as a kid, you know, the, one of the reasons that they're still one of my favorite bands is because of how nice they were to me when I met them as a kid, you it's know, like good genuine and, people. I'm, yeah yeah so you never so, yeah, see that I mean, coming <laughs> well i mean judging from the home videos and stuff you knew that that pantera are going to be fun to hang around but but yeah you know you get so yes they were they were a great band and they were great people they're still one of my favorite bands you know and i think that had covid been around when i was a kid then you know maybe it never met them been this still like larger they, than they, life they, entity that that you look at as right. like some godlike figure instead of the just normal that, humans they are that we're blessed with some sick talents. Right. I mean, that's how pretty much people look at Kane Hill now, you know, godlike creatures that, you know, until they, until you guys get off stage and COVID's gone. <laughs> uh, people are looking at us like we're some sort of godlike creatures. They really need to analyze what kind of gods they're, they're creating in their heads. <laughs> Cause man, I'd be like one of those ones where it's like, Oh, what's he the God of? I don't know. I heard that he can like throw pebbles really far. You can skip that's like rocks. The shittiest god skill ever. That's like 
That's like number <laughs> 599 million on, on like the Hindu scale of their many, many gods. Yeah, we don't really talk about him much. He's just good at pebbles. Uh, yeah, the, the wit, the god of pebble throwing. <laughs> <laughs> you need a pebble throwing. You pray to me, motherfucker. Hey, I will do that from now on. The videos you guys have been putting out, um, is that uh, is that like in-house too? Is that uh, you guys got a, got a video we guy, got a, got a video girl? We got a dude. We got a crew. Uh, this crew called Dream yep. Seeker, they're also local. They've been doing like most of the, they've, well, they've done all of them until the one we're about to release uh, in a few weeks um, because the one we're about to release isn't live action. It's like CGI, which we've always wanted to do. It's just like a little CGI thingy, little animation. Um, but yeah, I mean, they came in clutch. Like literally, I cannot tell you how much I had to lowball people <laughs> and how willing the people <laughs> of this state and this city were like, to be lowballed like the, the people that we're working with they're not turning a profit on us um they're doing it out of the kindness of their hearts because they like us and they believe in us and we're trying to like we're desperately trying to rebuild this heavy new orleans community that once existed and just honest to god feels like it's it's fallen into the river um yeah because and like i went to a show on monday and it was for a band that is very well known like their name is relatively household in, in like the, the death core heavy core uh, world. And like I said, it, it wasn't hard to keep six feet between me and anybody um, except for like maybe the very front row. Um, and that's just kind of how New Orleans is. So I think us being able to find a little bit of success and coming out of this state and being one of the first ones to, to like really break out in a long time. And, I, and that's not trying to sound like egotistical or anything. It's like we've internationally toured with some really, really big acts that oh, are yeah. just kind of crazy even to us. But coming from here, we're literally just trying to build a New Orleans music scene again um, and be a part of it and kind of just bring that name back to New Orleans. It's like a music city beyond the, the local jazz and like cover bands that do so much better than us. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> right. dream seeker has been so good to us and they've helped us out in so many ways and they've created some of the coolest projects. And I think one of the best things about working with Louisiana people is that while we're trying to like push this like Louisiana vibe, like the swampy, sludgy, gross, groovy French inspired, uh, like kind of music, they get that where other people just 100% don't understand it. Like the next video that we're working on is with an Australian. Uh, they're doing the CGI. And I was like, yeah, I would love to get alligators in it. He, he was like, I got a crocodile. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not the same thing. I need a, I need an alligator. I'm sure most people won't see the difference, but for our home base, for the people in this town, if they see a crocodile, they'd be like, we don't have those. <laughs> those <laughs> right. are here. Uh, they found an that's alligator. Funny. So if you see it, it's an alligator. I think. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep my eye out. Please, please um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, and I'll kind of piggyback off what you said there. You know, you New Orleans has a heavy legacy metal scene, yes. but but as as for something new coming out of New Orleans, you know, you you guys are definitely up there. So I think that I think that's what you're trying to say. I mean, you technically obviously. You know, with the with with crowbar yeah. down and exhorter and and all those all those guys. The the old heads know. built something huge, 
And yeah. over time, it has all been decimated. I mean, we don't we don't have any all ages venues. We don't really have. We've got like one or two venues that even do heavy music anymore. Everything has been bought out, turned into like cocktail clubs for local jazz or or, or cover bands, which grinds my wee gears quite a bit. Uh, those dudes make bank. <laughs> I just had uh, I just had Kyle Thomas on from Exhorter and. He does a cover band He's in a New Orleans, and he just he just makes That's where bank. the money is. Yeah. I've, I've talked so long yeah. about doing uh, Allison Canes, dude. <laughs> Cane Hill I does Allison Chains, uh, and I think I would make way more money here doing that than I do with Cane Hill. But like, yeah, like like our legacy band, amazing. The the heavy music that has come out of New Orleans in the past is huge, and. There are so many oh, yeah. bands down here that are amazing. Our heavy bands are nothing shy of amazing. Uh, but there's no recognition. There's no way for them to get out. Nobody wants anything to do with New Orleans bands. The fact that we got anything is like fucking beyond me because nothing comes out of here anymore. I mean, the last band that I knew of that came from Louisiana, like popped into like the scene, it was, albeit like the post-hardcore scene, was As Cities Burn. And that's one of my favorite bands, uh, but they never mm-hmm. a huge mark. They kind of went up a little bit, plateaued, and then let themselves die off. And other than that, I mean, Ryan, our bassist, was in a band called Miracle at St. Anna, which got signed to Tragic Hero Records, and they did a few tours and, again, just fell off. And with them, I mean, they they carried our local metal scene kind of on their back. And as soon as they fell off, the whole scene just kind of dispersed and turned into craft beer drinking mustache having indie music listening to folkhead i've talked about this a little bit on the on the show but i mean my pre-primary 55 band out of nashville um new orleans was one town that we could headline as an unsigned band like we we would play uh well we played metairie at zeppelins but we we could headline zeppelins and pull a crowd and wait, wait, and you uh know you know there metairie was, is? that's my yeah, town that's my okay go on <laughs> oh, okay well there you go yeah. So yeah, when Zeppelins was there, which was however long ago, I don't, I don't it think ain't. it's there anymore. But, um, but yeah, we would play there in the late '90s, and and yeah, pull a decent crowd and have a great you time. Know, that's fucking crazy because we play New Orleans now, and I ain't nobody showing up. Like maybe like <laughs> I mean like 200 people will show up, which is which is great. I mean I love that because yeah. I know that that's that's a big show in New Orleans for metal, um, and that just fucking sucks. Like. I wish it was like it was back then. I mean, that's how it was. I mean, even past the 90s into like the early 2000s and the early 2010s when like metalcore was the thing. Like bands could come here and they would sell out 500, 700 cap rooms. Like the Ryan's old band sold out House of Blues main room when they were unsigned and just local. And then just kind of seemingly out of just disappeared. Going to shows, noticing it slowly and slowly, getting smaller and smaller. And there's like a few bands that do okay here still, but I mean, like Seven Seven Dust can sell this motherfucker out no matter where they're at. <laughs> I I yeah. respect the shit out of them because they have somehow held on to New Orleans like like it's just in their grip. But we played with on that Bull of My Valentine tour years ago, uh, and we played House of Blues, and it was like one of the only venues that didn't sell out or almost sell out. Um, and it's the smallest wow. house of blues in the country. Um, so even for Bullet, uh, an international superstar band, New Orleans just yeah. says, yeah. 
Yeah, we got other things to do. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, what's crazy about Seven Dust is they'll play like three nights at the machine shop <laughs> and sell everyone out. Two with them, and I was know. like, "Are you sure you want to do two? And then we did it. We're like, "Nah, right. this makes sense." Yeah, like I didn't want to stay in Flint overnight, but I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I played the machine shop a couple of times, man. That's a <laughs> sketchy part of town. But um, I got I got the, the coolest uh, zigzag hoodie at the mall across the street at like one of the only open shops there, though. So. There's well, there all my respect to Flint is in that hoodie. <laughs> my, uh, I'll, I'll give you one more story, then we'll get off here, man. Um, one time we were playing Zeppelins and we were unlo- you know, taking gear off stage, and our singer comes running in from outside, and he goes to me, "Some there's a DeLorean out here." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" So I get my bass rig off the stage, run out there. Some girl that's like you know 19 gets out of it. I'm like. Like, why do you have a DeLorean? <laughs> she goes, She goes. my dad used to work for John DeLorean. This was a gift to him. And my dad gave it to me as my car. And I think it was just her daily driver. I don't think she really Our cared about crazy. it. But uh, I was like, well, you've got to let me drive it. She's like, okay. <laughs> okay. So we get out. So we get out on the, on the, on the roads there and I'm going like 10 miles an hour. And she's, she's all, you know, you can go faster than this. I was like, I don't want to break your DeLorean. Like, this That's is a awesome. smart move in the city. The streets ain't good. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, man. And, and came come to find out she didn't even see the show. She was just there. Like, she just let some random dude like drive her car. Like, yep. Whoever that girl so. was, nothing but respect. That's sick. That's very nice of her. And New Orleans is full of nice people, at least. That's, like, one thing we got going for us is that, like, New Orleans hospitality. But fuck me. I wouldn't even let anyone drive my 2008 Trailblazer. Oh, hey. Yeah, you're not getting anywhere near my Jeep. You know what I'm saying? Like, like especially some weirdo running up on me being <laughs> yeah, like, oh, my God, what is this? That. Probably not. No. This is a sweet Jeep. <laughs> In your fucking dreams, bro. You can ride the... Maybe you can ride the passenger seat, like <laughs> maybe. I'll put you in the trunk. But uh, put you in the trunk. You smell bad. <laughs> yeah, my wife listens to way too many murder podcasts for let me for for me to let anybody near anything. Yeah, I, mean, I I was a fucking murder podcast. I was selling my uh my gaming my gaming chair. I had like this shitty gaming chair that I bought Sweet. because I was like, oh, oh. I need a computer chair. I play games. Uh, they suck. Don't. Uh, do you have a gaming chair? Is your chair normal? No, it's just a regular Smart. office chair. Uh, gaming chairs are built to hurt you. I swear on my life. But I was selling it on Facebook Marketplace, and I was texting my wife while I was, I was like, I got them to meet me at the Winn-Dixie, right down the road, in a public <laughs> parking lot during broad daylight. And I was like, I'm going to drop off this chair. Hope I don't get stabbed. Uh, it went fine. Right. He didn't stab me. He gave me money. Very nice guy. Uh, but like, I don't trust people anymore. I know how people get murdered. In broad daylight at the yeah, Winn-Dixie. <laughs> yeah, you, it's so funny when they got to a point where they were like, you know, you should probably meet at a police station <laughs> and, you know, police station parking lot or something to do the exchange and stuff. And it's just like, at that point, just I stop don't doing sell it. Anything. <laughs> I mean, there's like a million reasons I don't want to go to a police station. Uh, most of all, I don't want to sell something at it. <laughs> like, like, you can meet me like... <laughs> Where they got cameras? Where, where, Walmart, Walmart. I mean, we can go to the Lowe's where they have. Uh, it's not a police station, but they got police cameras up. Uh, I think I yeah, bought I drugs one too many times at the Lowe's because I literally showed up for my regular like weekly drug deal, uh, and they had erected these gigantic 
police cameras in the middle of the parking lot. I was like, hey, do you want to like, you know what I mean? We had like the jewelry store around the corner. Like there's, there's like 15 cameras out here. He was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that how your drug dealer sounds? Yeah. yeah. He's much, he's yeah, much wait, bigger and go. buffer than me. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm digging these stories, man. But uh, let's kind of wrap it up on, um, you know, what's coming up with Kane Hill. Uh, when's this being released? And then I can see what I'm allowed to talk about. This will be released tomorrow. Oh, well, you know, joke's on you. I can talk about anything I want because we don't have a label. Um, we're releasing a song on October 15th, which is the second song of our second EP. It's taken us a bit to get through, um, but it's really good. The chorus is very chef's kiss. I'm very proud of it. Um, CGI, alligator, mosquito, uh, Louisiana vibes, out the asshole, made by an Australian. Um, UK tour, Europe tour next year. Nothing for America. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, probably until then, we'll just be talking shit about other artists on Twitter. Hey, that's what you got to do right there. I'm, I'm starting beef, you know? Beef left and right. Hey. This, that, that's my marketing scheme. Um, I I think that piece of cheese sticks to the wall. If you can get some beef going, do it. Smart. I'll do it a little bit smarter than others do. I'm not going to get kicked out of my own genre a couple of times. If you know what I'm saying. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's fun. That's always fun. I like to, I like to pick. So There we go, man. Well, Elijah, man, thanks for taking some time with me tonight. It's been my freaking pleasure to me, bud. The Talk To Me Podcast, presented by NotFest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me Podcast. Talk To Me Podcast.